This is the Melbourne Press Club, where we cover the news for those who make the news their business. I'm Michael Rowland, the club's vice president, and in this podcast, we bring you a rebroadcast of our monthly speaker events for listening on the go. Please enjoy this month's episode. Thank you very much for joining us on this first Melbourne Press Club event of 2018. I'd now like to formally introduce our panel, starting to my immediate right, James Jeffrey is the editor of, I think, the delightfully named column Struth in The Australian. Uh, He is also, I think, one of this country's finest parliamentary sketch writers. He spends a lot of time sipping between Sydney and Canberra, and uh, I always look forward to reading James Jeffrey's unique take on federal politics and also the tidbits he gets in his Struth column. He is also the author of the forthcoming book, My Family and Other Animus, which I think I'm going to buy just on title alone. Please make James Jeffrey welcome. Sitting next to him is, I think, in my humble opinion, News Corp's best gossip columnist in Melbourne. Alice Costa has spent many, many years uh, plying her trade. She was on the weekday confidential pages for so long, earning her stripes stalking coked-up footballers at Brownlow nights (laughs) and pissed B-grade celebrities at the Logies. I've seen you do it. I'm not one. And she is now uh, the editor of Page 13 in the Saturday Herald Sun, uh, the first thing I read on a Saturday morning because she has this city well and truly covered in sport, politics, entertainment and everything else. Please make Alice very welcome too. Joe Aston exceeded himself this morning in Rio Rindo. If you haven't caught up with it yet in the space of one item, he managed to call the federal Liberal MP a prize idiot and a tech guru, a deluded tosspot. <laughs> and uh, it uh, goes to uh, Joe's very particular way of cutting through to various issues and deflating sometimes extremely pompous egos in the world of politics and business. He has been the editor of the Rear Window column for five or six years now as well. Uh, it is the first thing, sorry James, that I pick up on a weekday morning and I think a lot of people having spoken to a few of you here, it's the first thing you go to, no hard feelings. I, I, I get this truth second. Um, I, I look at Rear Window because uh, Joe's always got something very interesting. He also is the author of uh, Adventures with Joe Aston in the Weekend Fin Review and I'm pretty sure doing that job exhausts all of Fairfax travel budget although Joe insists there's a bit of personal contributions as well, um, just keeping tracks of, uh, of Joe's uh, tour around the world, staying at the, at the best hotels and flying at the front of the plane. I'd be very jealous. I, I live through you uh, vicariously, Joe. Please make Joe Aston very welcome too. What, what is your uh, approach to your, your various columns? What, what's your mission statement? How do, you, how do you set out to do your job every day? I'm still not entirely sure. Um, I've been doing it for, uh, must be edging towards 10 years. So I think around about the decade mark I should have it figured out. But it's, um, I basically start with whatever amuses me and work my way forward from there. It's a pretty good approach to take. Alice? I like to, um, it's, the column's very Melbourne, so I kind of try and think what do Melbournians like, which is basically football, football and coked up footballers. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, I, I, I kind of use that as a kind of ground point and then, you know, I think you can't take anything too seriously, you know, it's, it's, it's a fun column, so you try and have a bit of a, 
you know, a bit of a laugh and things that amuse me as well. That's usually what gets in. And Joe. It's funny how hard I think it is to, I think we're proving it, it is quite hard to explain uh, what you're looking for, what it looks like to you, because you don't kind of, you know, like, like uh, in the, the, the Supreme US Court, Supreme Court case, you know, uh, with obscenity, you, you, you don't quite know what it is, but you know when you see it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess <clears throat> for me the, the um, mission is to, uh, is to identify hubris, cant, farce, hypocrisy, etc. And, and there's just boundless, um, boundless volumes of it. Um, I almost feel uh, increasingly so. Um, and uh, the key is to, uh, is, is actually how to choose which ones, which rabbit holes to go down because you, inevitably you make decisions every day to let people off the hook because there's just not enough space and there's not enough time. So you've all, you, without even knowing it, there are a lot of people out there who have been very fortunate. In this room? <laughs> yeah, I've seen a few. Watch this space. So you, in a speech a few years ago to the Sydney Institute, uh, Joe, you said, the, uh, the secret of good gossip writing is absolute, unadulterated, unadulterated rather, terrifying fearlessness. And you do need a fair bit of that because you are piercing heavily protected corporate reputations and political reputations too. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's uh, <clears throat> the thing that is most important and, and it's something that you can feign uh, and, and, and teach yourself. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I used to, I mean, in my first year or two of doing this job, I'd, I'd, had, con like I'd had the night terrors, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd read everything, you'd, you'd wait for what was going to be said about you and, and you're waiting for the emails from the lawyers and had you got a fact wrong and had you picked with the wrong, you know, fucked with the wrong marine, as they say, a few, in A Few Good Men. But um, in a few, it, you do actually come to realise that it doesn't actually matter very much if someone doesn't like you. Um, and uh, the more times that, you know, you walk into a large room of people and three quarters of the people are staring at you like they want to kill you, it gets easier. I mean, you know, you, you, can, you can get used to anything in life. <laughs> and it's, it's hard for you, Alice, as well, uh, being uh, particularly Melbourne-centric for good reason. Uh, it is, in many respects, a small town when you look at the, the AFL milieu and the like. Uh, and, and you have trod on some very powerful toes as well. So do you ever have those night sweats, those moments of sheer yeah, I'm, terror? I'm, I've still got the night terrors. I'd like to know when they stop. <laughs> <laughs> You know, waking up on Saturday morning, you kind of brace yourself, I call it sort of putting your armour on. And um, yeah, going up against, you know, I've, I've had some pretty robust conversations with some footy managers over the past couple of years and, you know, you, you, you brace yourself. But, you know, it goes with the territories. My, my dad is a, a, a journo, he always told me if you sing someone, you've got to be expected to be stung back. So you've got to make those hard calls, but you've got to take them as well the following day. And, you know, my kid's been in the back of the car once when one manager, Paul Connors, I think his name was, told me he wanted to knock my effing block off and, you know, <laughs> on, on, on. on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, on speakerphone. I was wish I'd tape it. And then you know, <laughs> it would have made column inches the next week. But, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Yeah, couldn't you just record that stuff and have it as a ringtone? <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, you know, I was discussing this earlier. You got a particularly juicy voicemail from Sam Newman I did. recently. Yeah, that wasn't actually to me, but it was um, to a contact who then gave it to me. And we, you know, why not? We called it the Cunt Files. 
what he was saying. I was <laughs> quoting him. So, yeah, Sam Newman gets a bit shitty when I call him now. Yeah, and James, uh, Polly's have fairly robust egos, don't they? You don't get any blowback from the stuff you write. The, the weird thing about Polly's is they're kind of masochistic. It doesn't matter generally how you take the piss out of them. They seem to... They're sort of like Labradors and whatever, whatever you do to them, they wag their tails. <laughs> it's like, so it's a bit, it's a bit different, different for me. I'm a bit, I'm fairly, probably too sanguine about Australian politics. I, I lived and worked uh, in Moscow for a while, and after that, every, everything feels like Smurf Village for quite a few years. <laughs> um, so yeah, I see them fuck up, and at the same time, no one, no one's getting dragged off to a labour camp. So it's, uh, <laughs> but maybe one day. Um, but I try to, with, look, I've been shouted out once or twice, mainly Queensland politicians for some reason. Um, a couple have put me in the, in the deep freeze. Um, if you want to stay on uh, speaking terms with Erica Betts, don't, don't write about his sphincter <laughs> and the health thereof. That's kind of like, but look, you can do all sorts of stuff and the, they lap it up. I try to, I, I'm just going to read just tiny paragraph just to give you an idea hold if I can actually unlock the bloody thing. Um, what I try to do basically is tread that fine line between you know, just taking, taking the piss a bit, having a bit of a prod, but trying not to be an asshole. Um, I, I think I've you walk a fine line on that some but days. Not, I'm not you saying can, you're an you asshole. Can, look, you, can do, you can do all sorts of things though. Like, um, this is the one bit I'll read. Right. This is just a truth item now. Um, when the German army invaded the Soviet Union in World War II, a curious thing happened. As it began to cross the grassy sea of the steppe, some of its soldiers began to get disorientated. With neither mountains nor hills to guide them, they marched for days, feeling like they hadn't moved. You can do this on a small scale and without the human calamity by driving across the Hay Plain. But we digress. Anyway, this brings us to the question time voice of Paul Fletcher. <laughs> <laughs> to hear the Territory's Minister address Parliament is to step onto an endless plain of words. There is nothing to lock onto, none of the usual topography of pitch and tone, just a taste of eternity. <laughs> when he stops talking, the regular world falls back on you with a thud. Incidentally, Fletcher answered two questions yesterday. Four people remained in the public gallery after question time, either keen or paralysed. <laughs> so, and what, what did he say to that, if anything? Word came through to him that he loved it. And I was like, you know, what can you do? Mm. Start beating them off with a stick or something. So, Joe, do you want to buy in? Oh, I was, I was going to say just, just uh, um, kind of agreeing very much with James, because <clears throat> I write a bit about politics and biz and and across business and. Politicians actually deserve um, a huge rap for actually how much shit they do take. Um, I mean, if you, if you think about some of the things that are said about politicians uh, in, in, their, in their course of work, um, it can be pretty hairy and pretty... You know, if I, and I speak with a great deal of experience um, saying similar things or even things that are far tamer about... Uh, you know, the, the chairman and CEOs of la very large companies, um, you know, the very rich, the idle rich. 
Um, and, and they have the thinnest skins, the thinnest skins. Um, so, so politicians actually in some ways are, are um, far better sports. Um, you know, there's always exceptions. Um, and, and the only other thing I was going to say with James is that I try absolutely uh, to veer into arsehole. I actually try and stay on that side of the fine line all the time. <laughs> and, and between us, you find that there's balance in the force. <laughs> uh, please raise your hand if you have a question. Uh, they'll be delighted to, to take a question and we'll get a microphone around. Um, uh, we have Glynis, I think, at the back there. Um, yes, thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, Mike Osborne, AAP. Um, I, I just wonder how you guys deal with the delicate situation of taking the piss out of your own executives. I mean, News Corp's pretty good at taking the piss out of Fairfax people and vice versa, but when it's your own people in the line of fire, uh, how do you deal with that and get that through your editors? I love them all. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, so... Uh, when I started doing Rear Window, uh, I, I, um, I mean, it's now on the back page, but it was, it was inside the book, and it was probably um, f slightly um, less uh, abusive and obscene than it had been. But I found uh, to get a very big response, mainly because the media loves talking about itself so much, was to write a lot about what was going on behind the scenes at Holt Street, at, at Willoughby, um, I'm talking in Sydney expressions now, but you know what I mean. Um, so it's good fodder. I would say, and I'm, I'm more than happy to, to, uh, to be to called up on it if, 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 if it's believed that I'm uh, uh, talking my own book or looking through rose-coloured glasses, but I think Fairfax um, has been uh, really, really great about um, f true freedom to write whatever you want. Um, including about my colleagues at the, the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, um, <coughs> and um, including about some executives. Um, but, you know, and I, I think that's kind of... Uh, it's, a, it's a different situation when you've got a, a, a charter of independence, um, mainly, may, mainly institutional shareholders as opposed to being at News or being at Seven, um, where you've got a, a large proprietor um, with a long history and, you know, large families and allies in major cities and this kind of thing where it becomes quite complex. Uh, you know, writing, you know, if you're at News Corp trying to write about Channel 10 when Lachlan was, was it one of its largest shareholders, for example. But, I mean, I remember um, telling, um, uh, telling uh, Gail Hamley, our general counsel, that I knew, I knew that um, I'd got word that they were going to cut another 80 jobs um, and uh, out of editorial and that I was going to write it. Um, and they weren't very happy about it, um, especially when I wrote 80 and they cut 100. But, um, <laughs> but I remember it being perceived in the Murdoch press like it was fed to me as a drop or something like that. So you kind of can't win if you write about your own, own employer. There's some people that are going to think that you, um, you're talking their book for them. Um, but it's more... Um, I mean, I, I haven't found it to be... Uh, well, when Roger Corbett retired as our chairman, I had an absolute field day because he wasn't our chairman anymore. Now, would I have actually out and out called him a fool um, when he was still our chairman? Probably not. Um, but, you know, the gloves were off as soon as he walked out the door. And I'm sure that's the way James feels 
as and Alice feel as well. Well, I, it's about true Roger, that about I Roger Corbett. For, I, I called for. I may have called for one colleague to be sued, but only once you were safely off the full-time payroll. <laughs> but um, um, well, that's the only lawsuit I've called for, so I've been very restrained on that front, so bravo me. Um, but on another front, um, so when the Sydney University newspaper, Oni Swad, did, um, that did a piss take of the Oz, but it was pretty good. But their front page splash was about, you know, Rupert Murdoch dead at 802 or whatever it was and um, I thought the best approach was well let, let's cover it let's so we had a gratuitous photo of me carefully reading it looking very thoughtful and gave them a few tips on how to make it better next time you just roll with it and uh, Alice, we'll get to a question there in a moment. Uh, Harold's son is, you know, closely connected with the AFL and all things Melbourne. Have you found any pressure from up high, good or bad? Oh, look, I think a lot of people in the public seem to think that you're kind of silenced or maybe there's a bit of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, not to write things. But um, I, I kind of don't listen to the winks or the nudges and kind of just go forth and, and write. Like, usually every week I try and kind of push the boundary a bit and uh, see if it will make it through the paper. And I mean, at the beginning, the subs used to be like, you can't put this in, this is just not acceptable. And I'd just trot over to the editor and he'd go, yeah, put it in. Mm. So um, I feel like there's, there's now a bit of leeway. The subs now kind of go, oh, it's page 13, you know, it can go through. And you know, I think people kind of have this perception that there is a lot of kind of, you can write this or pushing agendas, but... It really is kind of like what you guys were saying before. It's what, what tickles you that week and what, what makes you excited and, and put it in as hard and go as hard as you can. We just have a, a question here, um, Bill. Oh, okay. yes. Joe, I understand that uh, Rear Window is probably one of the most leaked two columns in the media in Australia. How do you decide which of the leaks you will investigate, which are the ones you will follow down the rabbit burrow, which ones you'll just throw in the bin? Well, I mean, it depends on, on uh, how much headspace you have. You know, you can, you can bite off a really big story um, and, and pursue it for months and months and, and stay on it. And I think it's important to, to do that, to, to, um, to, to own something and to, and to pursue it to its um, un, un, ungainly end. But the, the, you can only really be doing one of those at a time, maybe two, because um, it requires hours and hours and hours of, of, um, of reading documents um, and downloading documents and having phone conversations, etc. So you do kind of, you might start early in the morning and, and, and get four or five hours into, into research and go, I actually have to, I have to put this aside now because if I don't stop and just punch out some copy, then I'm not gonna get the column done. And so there's a bit of a balance um, with that um, because there are some stories that come very easily where you know, you can get really angry about, about you know, some peanut Liberal Party backbencher from Queensland. Um, and, uh, and it comes, you know, after a couple of bottles of wine, you can just kind of riff. Um, and, and, but, you know, if you're kind of, if you're <clears throat> looking into uh, maladministration or, or uh, you know, the, the kind of heavier, more serious stuff, it takes a lot of concentration, it takes a lot of research and um, if you fuck it up, they'll kill you. So it, it's just a balancing act. But um, just one thing I was going to say, a really good example of, of how, I th well, Alice was saying, you know, everyone had just 
makes these really um, juvenile assumptions about the media, uh, about particular media organisations. And I was, I, I was only thinking about this yesterday, that this Cormac Foundation thing that's going on here in Victoria between the Liberal Party um, corporate elders and the, and, the, um, and the Liberal Party itself, particularly Michael Kroger, its president, is a great example of how, um, like, you know, people at News might think that, you know, we're monotheistic and slavish in devotion to our, manage our executive management. I mean, if you think about who's involved there, you've got Rupert's brother-in-law, John Calvert-Jones, who's quit uh, both boards and is I I absolutely furious about it, goes to London, Rupert all of a, um, speaks to Rupert, all of a sudden Terry McCran in the Herald Sun is going absolutely after Michael Kroger. But Michael Kroger's a paid spokesman on Sky News, which is now 100% owned by News. John Ferguson in the, at the, in the Australian is, you know, ostensibly, I think, writes generally fairly uh, favourably on Michael Kroger. Um, and so if you lay out all the pieces, there's no, you know, there's no order from on high that one, you have to take one side. There's, there's one big, quite kind of, um, uh, quite homogenous uh, set, of, set of personalities, um, including the parties to the story, but I just thought that was a good example. Well, I think we're basically the broad church that the Liberal Party should aspire to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, a question over there. Well, as the mic gets to you, uh, just a snap. Paul, you mentioned uh, defamation, James. How many times have each of you been sued? Starting with you, James. They're unhappy memories. Um, thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> ben. Yeah, not a lot, to be honest, considering... Um, but it's been a couple of times, and and the first time it was, it was, it was so new to me. And you're talking about night sweats and the rest of it, and waking up. And, um, I dispensed with the waking up in horror by not sleeping for several days. <laughs> and and, um, and now that I think about, it, I probably won't sleep again tonight. And I was, it's all gone. I actually met the person years later, and um, uh, it was a lot of fun. But. At the time, no. Alice? Yeah, a few come to mind. Jeffrey Edelston, John Stephenson. I think I wrote a story about him, you know, don't you know who I am? And it proved that, you know, he didn't, people didn't know who he was. <laughs> you know, By the I've way, do, that, you mind legal letter us, on my... do you mind telling us who that is? Well, he was allegedly um, at the races and he was a, a bouncer, you know, was saying, oh, okay. he said, don't you know who I am? And he was making up all this... You know, carrying on and a legal letter followed suit, but um, we proved it to be true. You know, we write the truth. Yes. Jeffrey uh, Edelston's always loved a legal letter, but you know, mm. I won't go into them because he he's yet to he's yet to succeed on that front as well, isn't it, well, Jeffrey? Yeah. Mm. We'll move on from there. Give him time, <laughs> Joe. Um, I've, I've, um, I've You'd be sued daily, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, I've not. No, I've only successfully been sued twice, and I'm quite proud of that. Um, the first time was Kim Williams, <clears throat> over a story that, um, who, who, whose ultimate premise was, was right, um, but uh, I had sources go to water, and we couldn't put them on the stand, and, um, and there, was a, there were a couple of, you know, facts in the story that were wrong. Um, so, and that was pretty, that was pretty, a pretty high profile embarrassment for me in the first one, and it was also uh, painful for for me and for the, for, for the company because it was, 
the first time I'd written a story, which was for the Thin Review that the Sydney Morning Herald decided to take as their front page splash. Right. So um, we settled, <clears throat> I, th I think it's public, we paid him 95 grand or something like that, but the, obviously uh, we went to court uh, initially, so the, the, the legal costs were much higher than that, um, and we had to pay his as well. And then the only other time um, that we've folded was with a, uh, a uh, stockbroker uh, called Michael Kadari, who's known no, most people have never heard of um, as well. But uh, it was right when we were fighting Alex Malley and um, we made the decision um, to, I mean, Fairfax said to me, look, this is a pain in the ass. We're, we're probably going to lose. This is right when Rebel Wilson as well is happening and that's really changed the game, um, at least until hopefully it's overturned on appeal. But um, so we've had to be more careful. So yeah, look, we, we made a resources decision that, that the, lawyer, the lawyer said to me, look, if you, we pay him, you know, say sorry, pay him some money, then we can focus on Mali. And on that basis, if Mali goes, if Mali, if we have to go all the way to court, then we'll, we'll do that. And so, you know, you have to kind of sometimes make those hard decisions and focus on the things that actually, you know, that matter. Mm. Uh, we've got a question over here, yes. Yeah, Simon Feely, my question is for Joe Aston. You've uh, just introduced the topic I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask you facetiously if you've been offered a directorship at the CPA. Since all the good work you did on that score, um, and no doubt there were sleepless nights, but you must have had a few hate calls and others, but. I want to congratulate you on the, the work you did on that. It was a fascinating read for a long, long time. Thank you. No, I have not been offered a directorship of CPA. <laughs> um, so if you're listening, CPA. Uh, it was a, it was a f interesting story. Um, and I was just saying to Michael at the table, I, I'd like to think that it's not over um, because uh, the, the board that uh, that was the, the board that's gone chose the board that's replaced it and in return that new board has failed to do any serious investigating into some of the financial irregularities and improprieties that I definitely am confident happened and are discoverable but um, so I hope it's not over but yes it did go on for a long time and you know if there's one thing you can say about um, Alex Malley is that he's uh, he's he he he's got long fingernails. He clung on for a, for a long time. Uh, raise your hand if you have a a question. I just wanted to uh, ask each of you: is, is there somebody in particular in the corporate, entertainment, or sporting worlds that you most enjoy tweaking, uh, attacking, or having fun with, just for the sheer and utter sport? James, starting with you, maybe a politician. If you, and you've mentioned Eric Abetz already, so he's disqualified. Can't mention him again. I mean, it's always delightful to go back to him. Um, I always find that... I know it's a large fish in a small barrel, but there's, there's something I just find um, irresistible about Bob Catter. You do really feel like you have left the three known dimensions and gone over into something else. And um, when I was... When I started doing the 404 entries for the Australian's Aero page, um, I left Bob Catter's one until I was about a bottle and a, 
and a half of Shiraz into the evening, and that's when I thought, right, think like Bob. And I think I nailed it, but I felt like I tasted some, I, I saw something within me that frightened me. And I knew that there was a Bob there. So, it, it, it's, just, it's just a mad whirlwind with him, and um, yeah, it, it, it's just a different experience. So, you know, one of these days his head gasket is actually going to explode. It's just going to be a puff of fine red mist out of both ears. But, yeah, in the meantime, you know, it, it, it's something I just want to keep prodding and touching and going back to. I can't, can't resist. Alice? I know what you mean about that prod in. There's something irresistible about it. I think um, there are a lot of prickly little snowflakes in Melbourne and the sporting world. And I think, you know, when you, when you, when you do give them a bit of a whack and they, they really respond, James Brayshaw, just saying his name, I mean, he, he just can't help but get prickly. And so you just can't help but give them a whack. And so it kind of goes back and forth. Who's another one? Oh, Ricky Nixon, that's always, that's always fun, the former disgraced footy manager. He hates me writing that, and every time I write that, before his name. And I, I, that, that was more after waking up on an Easter Sunday with my little toddler in tow and looking at social media, which is always a bad thing to do. And he told all his followers to go out and buy me a can of Pal because I was Rupert Murdoch's lapdog. So I thought, you know what, you know... I've got the column inches, I can put him in there, so um, I do, lap, often. Lap, <laughs> lap dog's pretty fancy, though. They don't normally get power. Well, she hasn't really <laughs> researched this. I will. <laughs> At least it's better than a sunky Labrador. Uh, Joe? I, I just think it's very hard to go past Eddie Maguire. Um, <clears throat> you can't go past Eddie Maguire. He's omnipresent. Yeah, well, exactly. So, I mean, I've had a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun with him. And, of course, we've got a Collingwood director up the back, I see. Um, <coughs> anyway, that, yes, he, he would be my favourite. He takes the bait every time. In, in a bad way? As in, what, you, you, you say he's got a bit of a thin skin? Oh, absolutely. I still remember when he said... To, uh, well, he shirt-fronted me at the races a couple of years ago, which I... When, in fact, this other Collingwood director in the room was there too, would have witnessed it. And it was probably an unwise decision for, for Eddie because, as Alice just said, you know, I'm the one with the column inches. Though, mind you, he certainly is not short of a microphone. Um, but uh, uh, um, the beauty is... Uh, and the beauty of having, of having that kind of um, inside baseball readership um, of the Fin Review uh, is that... All of my readers know who he is, but he's famous, but none of his listeners know who I am or care. So he could sound off about me on Southern Cross and the EP would be in there in, there in five seconds saying, can you talk about something that anyone knows about? Um, but uh, no, I'd, I'd, I'd gone pretty hard on, on, um, on his comments about Adam Goods. And um, he, he came right up to me red-faced about five o'clock on Derby Day in the Emirates tent and uh, started screaming at me and said, do you know how much money... See this? I've got an order of Australia. I've raised so much. Do you know how, what I've done for charity and Indigenous people? And I said, well, Eddie, the thing is, if you're going to be getting to a pissing contest about the awards uh, system, I think the Australian of the year probably <laughs> tops your AM, um, which you didn't also find particularly amusing. But, um, yeah, look, he's... Uh, for somebody who says really dumb shit and then constantly half apologises for it, um, indignantly, 
It's, I mean, it's just, it's just like, you know, a slow, full toss every time. Uh, questions? David, uh, David Poulton, one of this city's finest defamation lawyers, by the way, so he's here, he's here as the ultimate safeguard. Thank you for that intro, Michael. Appreciate but, it. Yeah, it's been wait. weeks since he's written, you know. I, thought, so I was wondering if he was sick or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to ask a defamation question, actually, but um, uh, what I wanted to ask was really about the, the news of the day, which is what would you guys have done uh, with the filing cabinet? <laughs> James. I think I'd be getting drunk. I would stay drunk for the next three weeks and then start publishing. <laughs> It is, it is. You, you can't make this shit up, can you? This filing cabinet found in an ex-government furniture store in Fishwick. Because I know, I know there's been a, uh, it started to be a bit of commentary in, the, in, in some of the media about, uh, you know, what the ethics are and uh, should the ABC have just packed it all up and sent it back to the, um, you know, federal police. And Absolutely said, Sorry, we not. found this really no. interesting stuff, but we don't want to publish any of it because it would be you know, really embarrassing to people. They, they bought everything fair and square at the, um, <laughs> down at the second-hand furniture shop. So it's a bit, bit cheeky of ASIO to turn up. So I think, I think a bit of counteraction from Auntie is called for here. Yeah, absolutely. No, good on them. Whoever found them, I'd like to know what their dry-cleaning bill was afterwards because I would have turned inside out if I'd opened a drawer and found all that stuff. Mm, spilling out? Yeah. Alice, Joe? views on I, yes I or no? To, I have to admit I saw the headline and I actually haven't clicked on the story. I, I'm, so. I'm kind of the same way too. I've just come <laughs> back from five weeks in Byron Bay. So. <laughs> James answered for us. Yeah. No, this filing cabinet uh, full of um, uh, cabinet documents going all the way back to Howard, I think. So four or five governments. Um, Did it include the document about uh, Tony Abbott jo and Joe Hockey's uh, deliberations in 2014 or? No. No, they somehow leaked another way, did they? Yes. Right, oh, okay. Not, not that one. Right, okay. Um, yeah, and uh, not very interesting. So watch, watch this space. Um, I want to ask you as well, Joe, in particular, uh, your column is delightful to read in, in many respects, but you have a particular skill with coming up with nicknames. There was a guy at the tennis, I think at the, the men's open, uh, who you christened Two Dicks. And there was, you had a grandson or a grandnephew who you christened Octo, Octo Dicks, from memory. Is there a, there must, there's a particular skill in coming up with nicknames, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is. And frankly, uh, I'd, be dis I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say some of my friends and, and, uh, and uh, you know, drinking buddies are very helpful at that kind of stuff. You get, you get these ideas from other people. Um, but I, 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 I have to admit, I, I did come up with two dicks myself. And I, uh, Richard Richards, who's now um, the CFO of uh, Seven, Seven Group, as opposed to Seven West, um, <coughs> he was group head of finance at Qantas when I was in corporate affairs at Qantas, so I knew him. And I remember when I was with Lucinda Holdforth, who was at uh, Jeff and Lee and... Clifford and, um, and then Alan Joyce's speechwriter and, and, and we were putting together the annual report and we got this email from a Richard Richards and I said, Richard Richards? Is that like, should we call him two dicks, right? But it turns out when, I, when, I wrote, when he was hired and he went to Seven and I wrote that they've hired two dicks, he got really indignant and um, I got a call from si the great Simon Francis saying, oh, Two Dicks isn't very happy that you've called him Two Dicks. <laughs> and, and he'd like you to know that it's a family name and his na father's name was 
Richard Richards and his name is Richard Richards and, and he, he's offended and he doesn't want to see you make fun of him again. Right? Well, that, what was I going to do then? Um, and then someone tell, and then of course someone um, told me that he's had a son and called him Richard Richards. So th the joke being uh, with some friends at seven that uh, you know if he's Richard Richards the third and you know three cubed is eight, then I guess that makes him octo dick. Um, but I've since discovered he actually he hasn't got a son. He's only got a daughter. So I don't feel so bad about the young kid. And in some ways, I'm hopeful that he's he could have seen the light now and that he'll call the bloke Bob or something. <laughs> Alice, this town's full of uh, footballers with nicknames. Is there one that you've, you've coined or one you particularly oh, like? I can't, I can't think of um, any nicknames that come to mind. But again, just going back, you know, I like getting a few kind of strange terms, not very Herald Sun-friendly terms in there. And going, again, talking about Sam Newman, who always makes good fodder. People can't help. I, I, I actually wrote about Sam Newman's gazolicas, which, which was a highlight, you know. That what, was, what, are, what are gazolicas? It's, it's, it's anatomy below the belt that I don't have. Right. So that was, that was a, I actually had to explain to a few people. I also got an eggplant emoji in there once. <laughs> You're kind of getting my sense of humour. It's sort of schoolboy sense of humour. I thought gazolicas was a type of cheese. <laughs> well, you never know with Sam Newman. <laughs> a bad mistake. Uh, political nicknames, is there anything that you're particularly proud of or that stands out? I don't really bother too, too much of the nicknames themselves because, again, how can, you, how can you further adorn a name like Erica Betts? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> you may as well attach something to a stained glass window, it's as beautiful as it is. But no, I, I, I do my adorning in the sentences around the name, so. Um, yeah, look, I'll, I'll admit, once or twice, I may sort of giggle at my own dumb jokes as I write them. They can be affected, you know, that, that's the key. Mm. You, you don't want to overuse them. Yep. Um, you really want them to be good. Um, and some people's names, obviously, lend, sometimes, sometimes people's behaviour lends itself to them. Um, sometimes their name uh, naturally lends itself to them. Eddie, uh, two dicks being one, you know, the CEO of Maya being another. I mean, being, having a last name Umbers... Um, when you're in financial trouble, is uh, lending itself to you know. Say it. No numbers, or you know, or has the numbers, doesn't have the numbers. Um, the only other thing it rhymes with is cucumbers, and that's not particularly helpful. But you know that it. But you know you can see them where it's 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 laboured. Mm. Um, well, one of the few I bothered with was when um, Kevin Rudd was a happy backbencher and popping up all over the world. You know, he was in Berlin one week and he'd be in Washington and then he'd be in Beijing and I just wondered how this all pertained to the business of the Brisbane electorate of Griffith and then decided he must be following some ancient imperial dream of a greater Griffith. And so from there I made him the, the holy, spelled with a W, holy Roman emperor, R-O-A-M-I apostrophe and... Um, <coughs> That's, that, that's one of the few that I've sort of like done. Yeah, I like that, I like I like that, that. one. Yeah, and he, he probably would have loved it too. Um, mixed feelings, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a question. Uh, yeah, Jude Donnelly from the AFL. Thanks, Michael. Uh, my question's for Joe. Um, I'm just here with my guest from Maya. <laughs> uh, my, my question's actually about um, Alex Malley, and I concur, Simon, with your comments 
before uh, followed the stories um, quite religiously for the last year or so. I'm really curious to know, at any stage did, did Alex Malley ever make contact with you other than via lawyers um, to try and sit down or, or, you know, or did someone, was there an intermediary on his, on his behalf to say you really should talk to this guy or was it just such a clear case of, you know, I'm going after this bloke because he's so bad. I'm really curious to know of any kind of personal interactions and if they affected anything that you ended up writing. Um, yeah, uh, no, so I'd met him once um, on the set of a, of a show that we had, the Finn Review had a show on Channel 9 on Sunday mornings for two years, um, and he uh, sponsored it at the time, uh, uh, And uh, but as part of the deal he, he had negotiated, he had to be on the panel of a certain number of weeks. Sounds out of character, of course. And, um, and at this point, most of us were going, sorry, who's the sponsor? CPA, what are they, who are they, what are they? I mean... Where in some ways you are exaggerated. I think lots of people know who, who the CPAs are, but it was hardly Westpac or Coca-Cola or KFC um, as, a, as a retail brand. You, you kind of it was a bit baffling why all of this money was being spent advertising their brand because it wasn't selling anything. Um, well, other than Alex, and of course this is the issue. But uh, so we had lunch once. Um, he, he, after I met him in person, he asked me to have lunch with him, and it was, it was just fascinating. I was, it was more, I was morbidly fascinated by this. I've just never come across an ego like it. Um, like it was, all, I was very hard not to laugh out loud. Um, and I walked away going, God Almighty, that guy is a freak. Um, and uh, and then of course, I started uh, bagging him. You know, more jet mockery. I would say it started with, but of course, then all of the the whistleblowers come out of the out of the woodwork on and say you might tease him about spending this much money on sponsoring the tennis or you know doing this or doing that. But actually, you should look at this document or that document or speak to this person. And you know, he got sacked from Macquarie for doing the same thing and blah de blah de blah. So that became from it went from mockery to some pretty serious uh, prosecution. Um, uh, fairly quickly, and, and at that point, um, they issued a big 16-page rebuttal of uh, things I was writing, including a full page of claims that uh, I'd asked him for a job. Uh, it was I was jealous because he was famous and I wasn't. You know all this kind of stuff, and and that we're going to sue, and we and that we're commencing defamation action, and uh, which was. So it was a key decision at that point to, to, to back off or to proceed, and we were confident that that uh, we had a re we had a really good case, as much as any media organisation has a good case anymore when it comes to the courts, who seem to roll out the red carpet for any vexatious plaint uh, uh, applicant. But anyway, that, I digress. The um, so having accused me in writing of uh, of all of these things that didn't happen, there was no contact. No. Um, and I don't know what, what you, I could, we could have said to each other, frankly. I mean, uh, but but it, th that goes to another point. And you know, how do you manage someone when they're coming after you? And I guess um, there's as, as many uh, PR people in this room as there are journalists, and, and we've all been on, you know, interchangeable and been on different sides of that game. But the, the interesting thing is, some of my best sources or some of my best kind of professional friendships are actually uh, with people who I've. Uh, come to know because I went after them. Um, and there's a certain type of person who'll 
you know, shirt front you at the Emirates tent on Derby Day and scream at you indignantly about how much of a great and great genius and, and world leader they are. And there's another kind of person who will call you up and say, ha oh, you really got me. Why don't we take you, why don't I take you out for lunch and tell you some stories? And, um, and I think there are many, um, there are many uh, slow deaths uh, that have occurred on the page uh, because people, uh, through pride or, or, um, or arrogance or, or wrong-headedness or whatever, have chosen the, the former rather than the latter. Can I just say something? I think you make a good point about how the story that maybe started out as a bit tongue-in-cheek and then it, it developed more and, as you said, whistleblowers come out. I mean, that's often people do kind of trash-talk gossip writers or, or columnists like ourselves. And, um, but it often is the, the sort of the beginning of, of a much bigger story that ends up on the front page and, you know, ripped out of your column and, and thrown in there. And, and often, like, when I, when I first started, I used to think, you know, putting that, have you heard more stamp, you know, what's that going to do? And I remember writing a story about a disgruntled government house employee and it was, you know, run-of-the-mill story and then, sure enough, do you know more and, and you know, whistleblowers, I was, you know, down alleyways getting manila folders with caches of documents and, you know, it had ended up being three, three big front-page stories. So mm. often, you know, that's, that's how it starts. And to me, that's really, you know, pure journalism. Yeah, old school. Yeah. Alleyways and folders, yes. Yeah. It's yeah. exciting. Once in a while you get the odd bit of dynamite uh, to, from, a, from a reader who just happens to enjoy your work and um, one of the ones that I laughed about it for months afterwards, it was a, uh, a Struth reader who rang, rang up to tell me that um, up, up at the airport in Brisbane somehow 16 items of luggage, 16 belonging to Alan Jones were accidentally loaded onto Wayne Swan's official plane, but, you know, by flying to Melbourne, but Wayne Swan flew off with Alan Jones's luggage. So I thought, well, I'll just float this one to Alan and see what happens. And I had to wait for a couple of days, but let's say uh, Alan knows how to add value. And it was like, a, <laughs> when he gave me, which was like just one splendid, long, controlled blast. <laughs> so I just sort of put quote marks at the start. <laughs> <laughs> Quote marks at the end. Got fobbed off by a couple of ministers who <laughs> pushed from Wayne Swan, pushing me around to defence and mm. whatever. But it was uh, that, that, that was a good wheeze. Yeah. But seriously, sixteen items of luggage. Sixteen. The man knows how to travel. Uh, we are about to wrap up, so uh, if you've got a question, speak now or forever hold your peace. This is the Melbourne Press Club event series. Thanks to Jazz Art from Free Music Archive for our theme music. Please give us a visit at melbournepressclub.com to find out about future speaker events.